Fairfax, we have a few announcements for you. Easter at Fairfax is Sunday, April 17th. We'll be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with four service times, 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., 11 a.m., and 12.30 p.m. So come out, bring a friend, a family member, or someone else that you know. And Fairfax Kids is excited to invite you, your family, friends, and neighbors to Fairfax Church for an outdoor Easter egg hunt here, Saturday, April 9th. Families can sign up online for a time slot at our events page. Speaking of Fairfax Kids, Camp Grows Registration launches next week. This year's theme is On the Case. Kids will solve the mysteries of how to grow in their faith and care for, serve, and love others. Camp Grow is open to kids who will be in kindergarten through fifth grade next school year. Again, sign up starts next week, so stay tuned. Earlier this year, we celebrated our Resource Center's first anniversary. Now we're inviting you to take a tour of the Resource Center yourself. Get to know the team and about this incredible ministry opportunity. For those of you who are interested to take a tour, meet us at the coffee shop after the service. Finally, we'll be taking communion together later in the service in remembrance of Jesus giving his body for us. If you're joining in at home, we invite you to grab whatever you have on hand and join us in taking communion. Well, Fairfax, that's all the announcements we have for you today. Let's get back to our journey to the Resurrection Series. All right, last week I mentioned to you that we have a number of churches that are in the Ukraine that are doing some amazing, amazing work uh, in responding to uh, the crisis that is going on there, the war that is taking place there. Uh, churches that are opening up their facilities for folks who are in transition, either transitioning outside of the country or being displaced inside the country and moving to safer places in the Ukraine, uh, providing food and lodging and, and clothing and hope and prayers and all kinds of things, just amazing, amazing stuff. And I wanted to let you hear a little clip. We got connected through um, our partnership with Global Strategy, which is part of our denomination. A couple of the leaders at Global Strategy did a, a podcast, an interview with uh, one of the pastors in the Ukraine, one of our pastors in the Ukraine. And uh, it's, it's actually a youth pastor. She's um, in her early 20s. Um, and it's just an amazing, amazing podcast. I think the podcast, maybe the whole podcast is available on our website, but I wanted to give you just a, a glimpse of what is going on and how God is at work even in the midst of some incredibly painful stuff that is going on. I think you will, I'm so impressed with this young lady. Um, basically, one of the questions that they asked was, how can we pray for you? And most of this three-minute clip is her responding to how the church can pray for those in the Ukraine. And it's just amazing the spiritual maturity that this young lady has and how God is working in her life. So take a listen to this. These seven days we've lived like a um, couple of lives and we are praying, first of all, for the church to stay sober and um, not to sink into fear, into hate, into um, all the emotions that are widespread everywhere. And we, we feel everything together in love and hate and sadness and kindness. So for Holy Spirit to divide all these feelings, uh, pray for, um, for the safety of our hometown so our town can be the, um, the place where people can come. So we will not spend time to def for defending ourselves, but we will just accept people and show them love. 
um, you can pray against the spiritual war that is going on because it's not only the physical part, the spiritual war uh, against the government and the political leaders of the Russia so they can be defeated and so that God uh, will just stand between those two countries completely. We've already seen and we've already read about hundreds of miracles which happen with our soldiers just because the church is praying and people are praying all the time. Pray for our youth, for them not to be uh, hateful, for them to share hope, for them to share love. And um, there are some funny stuff, some humor that helps us to get through it. And um, just pray for that not to become something uh, mixed up with anger, uh, but to to stay positive, to stay kind, to stay in love, and pray for all people who've lost their homes, for their lives to be restored as much as they could, and um, pray for all the church leaders around our country, around Russia, for them not to be quiet, for them to speak the truth, and for them to be good leaders for their people and um, to be God's word defenders and to be defenders in people's hearts and souls and bodies. Uh, we want just to thank everyone for helping and for donating um, to be for us to be able to buy everything we need to provide the people that are staying in church and accepting people with food, with uh, provision, with ever needed equipment. So may God bless you a lot and thank you for your input, uh, physical and spiritual. And thank you for asking us and thank you for texting us. This is really, uh, really valuable. May God be with you and we hope that we're gonna see each other very soon. Wow, yeah. Will you just join me in prayer? God, our hearts are just humbled as we listen to this young lady in the midst of um, such turmoil and such pain and whose whole life has been turned upside down, a whole country that's been turned upside down. And, and to hear um, the maturity of the Apostle Paul in the midst of similar circumstances, Lord, of just praying that, that you would be at work, that you would keep, you would keep students and adults from, from hatred, from responding back with what's going on with hatred, that you would soften hearts, that you would allow them to share the love of Christ and the hope of Christ, that you would protect them, that you would protect their cities, not just to protect their cities, but that you would protect their cities so that they can be of service and serving of others and provide for the needs of others, that you would, that you would be at work in the lives of all of those who follow Jesus, whether in Ukraine or, or in Russia, Lord, that you would be with the church leaders and that they would speak up and speak out and speak the truth and be the presence of Christ Lord, we just, uh, yeah, we pray for our brothers and sisters, and we pray that somehow in the midst of this tragedy that you would redeem it in ways that we could not even imagine. 
and that you would be glorified in ways that we could not even imagine. In the name of Christ, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you want to do, um, I encourage you to be praying, obviously, for the Ukraine. If you want to do something in addition to that, we've started this uh, Ukraine Relief Fund. And I mentioned last week that we are so um, thankful that we have connections with the Church of God uh, and pastors and leadership in Germany that have direct connections with pastors on the ground in the Ukraine. And so money is, is being able to get to the places where it needs to get. Um, and you can, you can trust that. And so if you want to be a part of that, if you, if you go to our website or uh, um, wherever it is that you give to Fairfax, the kind of the drop down there, it'll be the general fund, but there'll also be the Ukraine relief fund, and you can give directly to that. Uh, Andrea mentioned that uh, in the announcements that we're going to be taking communion uh, at the end of the service and just reminded those that are at home, if you want to take a moment uh, before we get to that to get the elements in place so that when we get to that time in the service that you'll be prepared for that. Uh, I want to just say a word to those of you in, in the sanctuary as well that you were given uh, the communion um, kind of communion packets when you came in. It, it takes a moment, <laughs> it takes a moment to kind of uh, take those open, to, to open those and to get the, the bread out and to open that and to, to get the cup. And I want to encourage you to do that. We, uh, we're going to finish the message and after the message, there's going to be a song. And then after that song, I'm going to come back up and we're going to take communion together. And so uh, to kind of get ready for that during that song is probably the best time uh, to prepare those communion packets again because it takes a little moment to do that and then we'll all be able after that song to be able to share in communion together. Okay, so one more thing before uh, I, I launch into the message. Uh, I have a confession that I just need to get off my chest and, and to kind of get out there uh, and it has to do with something that happened last week. So um, last week when I, I came out of, of, of the church parking lot, I was on Braddock Road uh, I was behind a car, and we got to a stoplight on Braddock, and uh, it was, you know, it was red, and we're there, and and the and the light turned, and the light turned green, and um, I'm not sure what was going on. I think maybe the person was texting or something was happening that they didn't notice that the light had turned had turned green, and I, I didn't want to be that guy, right? So I, I waited a. A little bit, but the cars began to go and and to pass around us and all that, and uh, and, and so I uh, I honked at the person. <laughs> and uh, now let me just say, uh, you should no matter what, you should never do that. Like even if it's a full rotation with the light, whatever, you should just never do that. But I, I did that, and, and I honked at the person, and the person looked up, and I couldn't see their face. Uh, I just saw their eyes as they looked in the rearview mirror, and uh, and they looked back and they saw me, and 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 started waving and smiling at me, and, and I realized that this is someone from Fairfax that I that the pastor just honked at to get moving, and uh, they just waved and waved, and yeah, I like yeah, I kind of like. I kind of like wanted to duck down, and, and, and it was really funny because as we, we got further along Braddock, you know, it, it goes into like four lanes there at the, at the very end where it comes into 123, and, and, and he was in the right lane. I went to the far left lane. 
just to not have to be next to that person and then just kind of slumped around a left-hand turn just to get, I didn't even need to go that direction. I just went that way just to, to get away. And so I just want to say, if you're here today, I'm sorry. And I, I confess and repent of what I did last week, okay? So I just want you to hear that. So I'll have six people come up to me because I've probably done it more than once. So, all right. So we're in the third week of this series uh, that's called A Journey to the Resurrection. And uh, as I mentioned last week, or every week actually, we're, we're looking at eight chapters, the final eight chapters of the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, chapters 21 through 28 to kind of guide us on this journey. And this week we're looking at one of... Uh, Maybe I, I, it's hard to say any certain passage is more profound than others, but it's it's one of my favorite passages, and it's the the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's it's when Jesus explains to his disciples and to us like what he's about to experience on the cross, what that is all about. The interesting thing, you know, about Jesus, Jesus is so different than all of the leaders of all the great religions of the world. He's different in so many ways, but one of the ways he's different is all of those leaders died old, and they died, at the, at the moment of their death, they died successful. So Moses lived to be like over 100 years of age, and he got the people of Israel to the border of the promised land, about as far as he could take them, and all of that happened before he died. Buddha lived to 80 years of age. He died a, a peaceful death, uh, surrounded by so many of his followers. Uh, Confucius died at the age of 72 in his hometown, actually been kind of driven out of his hometown, and then there had been kind of reconciliation, and he came back to his hometown, and he died there in his hometown, surrounded by those who would continue his work. And Muhammad died in his 60s and united all of, uh, of Arabia into one kingdom, and under one faith, and he died in the arms of his, of his wife. Now, contrast that to Jesus, who dies at the age of 33 in agony on a cross. He's been placed there by the Roman authorities, the ruling authorities of the day, abandoned by almost everyone in his life. And yet, not only does a massive movement get formed around this guy, a massive movement get formed around Jesus. His followers end up adopting the cross, adopting the instrument of his death as their symbol. Now, the Latin word for cross is crux. And in many corners, that was considered a swear word because it represented everything awful, everything terrible. It represented weakness and death and and absolute humiliation. So let's, let's just do a little exercise here. Maybe put this in context. Think of a, a four-letter swear word. Don't shout it out, okay? Like, that's not this kind of exercise, but just think of it. Like, I, I had some people that texted me that were watching online, and they said, we got really creative with this, like, when you said this. So, but just think about a four-letter swear word. Now, imagine that you're starting a church and you name the church that, like whatever that is, the beep church. Like that's the, that's the name that you come up with for the church. Not a great outreach strategy. Not a lot of people are going to come. Well, maybe in this area, some people that would come to that church, but not a great outreach strategy. So why did the followers of Jesus 
like adopt the cross as their symbol. And why did they say this is the person, the young guy who dies a brutal death on the cross, like this is the person that I want to follow? Why did they say this is the person I'm willing to lay my life down for? Well, two reasons. One is the the resurrection, and we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But the second is the, it's because of the explanation that Jesus gave about what the crucifixion, what his crucifixion meant, that changed everything for the disciples. And the clearest explanation was the one Jesus gave to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. It was the explanation that gave meaning to his death, purpose to his death, an understanding of his death that that drew people and continues to draw people to Jesus. John Stott says it this way. The fact that a cross became the Christian symbol and that Christians stubbornly refused, in spite of ridicule, to discard it in place of something less offensive can only have one explanation historically. It means that the centrality of the cross originated in the mind of Jesus himself. It was out of loyalty to him that his followers clung so doggedly to it. So what did Jesus say as he gathered at the table with his disciples? What did Jesus say to them that helped them so much in understanding the meaning of his death and the meaning of the cross? Well, this is, this is Matthew's account. We're just going to read it together, starting in verse 17, and just kind of in honor of the gospel. Would you stand together as we read, as we read the gospel? Matthew 26, starting in verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread He gave thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his gospel. You can have a seat. Now, the first thing you notice when you read through that text, and I know that every gospel you know, describes it in just a little bit different way, but as you read through Matthew's gospel, and this is true in all of them, you realize that Jesus, this meal that he's celebrating with his disciples, the reason that he's gathered around the table is they're celebrating the annual Passover meal together, just like just like the people of Israel had celebrated for centuries together. So when Jesus, as the presider at the meal, now every Passover meal had a presider, had someone who was in charge of like explaining what is going on. Like they didn't want to just, when they did the Passover meal, they didn't just want to fill their stomachs with food. They wanted to continue to remind every new generation about what all of these elements represent and how God has worked in the past. And so every Passover meal had a presider, 
Oftentimes it was, it was the, 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 the husband. Oftentimes in that culture, it was the husband who was doing that, the presider at the meal. Now Jesus is the presider at this Passover meal. And as Jesus presides over the meal, he gets up and he begins to explain the meal. And all the disciples knew what he was going to say because it's the same thing that has been said for centuries when a presider would get up and would like explain the Passover meal. So they knew what he was going to say. They knew the words that were going to come out of his mouth because they'd heard it their whole lives. For centuries, the presider over the meal would take the unleavened bread that was on the table and say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. This is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate in the wilderness. See, the unleavened bread was a reminder of the difficult circumstance that, the, that Israel faced as they fled Egypt. Like they had to leave. If you remember the story, they had to leave very, very quickly. They didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. That's why it was unleavened bread. They didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. And it was a reminder of the struggles they faced in the wilderness, even after they left Egypt. Like the struggles didn't stop just because they got out of Egypt. But Jesus takes the unleavened bread and he doesn't say what every presider has said for centuries who presided over a Passover meal. Jesus takes the bread, we're told in verse 26, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. In other words, Jesus saying, this is not the bread of their affliction. This is the bread of my affliction. Like years ago, the people of Israel suffered in order to have themselves set free for God to set them free from the slavery of Egypt. Now, I'm going to suffer to set you free from something even more enslaving than Pharaoh, even more enslaving than Egypt. I'm going to suffer to set you free from the slavery of death and the slavery of sin. And then Jesus takes the cup. Now, on the traditional Passover meal, and of course, the Passover meal over you know, all of these centuries has taken on different forms. So you may have been a part of a Passover meal that was a little bit different than this. And, and even over thousands of years, you can imagine traditions have changed a little bit. But at the time of Jesus, the Passover meal would have had probably four cups that would have been on the table. Awesome meal, four cups of wine that are on the table. And, and each cup represented one of the great promises that, that God made to Israel in Ex that's talked about in Exodus 6. Basically, the four are this. One is the promise, I will set you free from the bondage of Egypt. Second promise, I, I will take you as my people. Third promise, I will be your God. Not one of many gods, I will be your God. And then the fourth promise, I will give you the land that I promised to, to your forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as each of those promises were read, like those at the table would partake of one of the cups. But Jesus, as the presider gets up, and he doesn't, he doesn't take up four cups, he takes up one cup. And he doesn't talk about covenants that have to do with Egypt or Pharaoh or or land and acquiring land, all that. He talks about a different kind of covenant. Look at verse 27, 28 again. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, he offered it to them saying, 
drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the reason that Jesus uses the Passover as the context to introduce the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist or whatever the term is that you use to describe it, the reason that he uses the Passover as the context for that, the context for explaining the meaning of his death is because the Passover was all about the saving power of the blood. Like That's what the Passover was all about. Remember how over and over again, God tells Pharaoh through Moses, let my people go, let my people, let let my people go, let my people go. And over and over again, Pharaoh refuses. He, he, He initially goes, yes, and then he changes his mind in every situation. And he says, no, 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 no. And God keeps saying, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh keeps saying, no, no, no. And so finally, God sends an angel of God's justice, a death angel, to bring judgment on the people because of their sins. Now, this is a thing that we sometimes forget about this story, even if we're really familiar with the story and we've heard it like many, many times because this is what's at the very heart of this narrative. What's at the very heart of the narrative is that it's not just the Egyptians who were subject to God's judgment. Sometimes we forget that. It's not just the Egyptians who are subject to God's judgment, that Israel was subject to God's judgment as well. Yes, they were the ones that were being oppressed. Yes, they were the ones that were being taken advantage of. But just because you're being oppressed doesn't mean that you don't have your own stuff to deal with. Just because someone else is perhaps mistreating you in some way doesn't mean that you don't have your own sin to deal with. Like all of us, wherever we are on that spectrum, oppressed and oppressor, everybody has their own stuff to deal with. Everyone has their own sin to deal with. So God instructs every Israelite family to sacrifice a lamb, to put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their homes. And if they do that, when the angel of God's justice comes, the angel will pass over their homes and no one will die. The thing that saved the Israelites that night, and this is so important to understand, is not their religion. It's not that they were Jewish. It's not that they were God's chosen people. It's not that their behavior was so much better than the behavior of the Egyptians, none of that. They were saved by the blood. They were saved by the blood that was put on the door from. They were saved by the blood of the lamb. That's why the main course of the Passover meal was the lamb. Not much of a meal if it's just, if it's just you know, wine and bread. That's not even a good tasting, okay? Like even usually at a tasting, a wine tasting, you have a little bit more than just like the wine and the bread. And the Passover meal was more than just the wine and the bread. The lamb was actually the main course at the Passover meal because it was the blood of the lamb that was placed over the door frames. That's the reason the angel of God's justice passed over the homes of the Israelites. But as Jesus presides over the meal, he doesn't even mention the lamb. And when we take communion, and for 2,000 years, when followers of Jesus have taken communion, there's no lamb involved in communion that we partake of, that we take. And Jesus doesn't even mention the lamb. Why? Because Jesus wants his disciples and us to understand that the true lamb is not on the table. The true lamb is at the head of the table presiding over the meal. It's Jesus' blood 
that's being spilled out to provide for their salvation and our salvation. It's Jesus' body that is being broken to, to provide forgiveness of sins. Like the lamb on the table is not what matters. It's the lamb that's presiding at the head of the meal that matters. And that's why, or that's when the penny drops for the disciples. Now they don't fully put all of this together until after the resurrection and then they put the resurrection and the power of Jesus' victory over death together with what he said in his explanation about how important his death is and what his death is. That's when the penny drops for the disciples. That's when they began to understand the meaning and the purpose of Jesus' death. The disciples have celebrated the blood of the lamb their entire, think about this. They've celebrated Passover their whole lives. Every year they made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the meal of the Passover. For years, they have celebrated the blood of the lamb. They just didn't realize that the true lamb was the one that they were following. That the true lamb was the one that was at the table with them that night. Now, some of you may, may be, um, maybe a number of you, you like, you look at all this stuff and I know there's a lot of people out there when they think about, um, sacrificial death of Christ on the cross and all of that is, is they think about that and about Jesus being the lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. And the question at some level that they ask is why did someone have to die for our sins? Like why, why can't God just forgive? <laughs> Why can't God just say, I forgive you? And our thought process is, well, that's what I do. Like, that's what I do. When someone wrongs me, I just, I just forgive them. Uh, there's no sacrifice. There's no hurt. There's no pain. There's no blood. No one has to die. I just tell them that, that I've forgiven them and, and they're forgiven. And if I can do that, like, why can't God just, why can't God just do that? But here's the deal. If we're honest with ourselves, we know that's not the way forgiveness really works. Like if someone really wrongs you in some way, hurts you, betrays you, turns their back on you, wounds you in some way, and you truly forgive them, you know that that forgiveness is about more than just speaking the words, I forgive you. Why is that? Because words are not the currency of forgiveness. The currency of forgiveness is pain. Like you can't forgive without experiencing pain because forgiveness is being hurt, it's being wounded, it's being betrayed, it's being taken, whatever it is, like it's being hurt in some way and choosing not to hurt back. Like that's what this, this young a uh, youth pastor in the Ukraine. And she said, I, here's what I want you to pray for. I, pr I want you to pray that we will not, our students will not respond to what is happening to us with, with hurt and with pain and with hate. Because I don't want us to, I want us to respond in a Jesus way to that. I don't want us to respond with hurt and hatred and anger towards this. Now, she doesn't use the word forgiveness, but that's what she's talking about because that's what's involved. Like there may be some people that you are, 
Because what it means to forgive is to say, I'm going to take all of that hurt, all of that pain, and instead of, instead of paying a person back what they have done, hurting them back so they feel pain as well, I'm going to take that pain and that hurt into myself. And for some of us, like there are some people that we know probably we should forgive. And that's one of the reasons we don't want to forgive. Because there's something still in there of like, I want them to hurt in the same way that I have hurt. I want them to somehow feel the pain that I have felt. And that we know if we truly forgive, not just say the words I forgive you, which can be meaningless at times. If we truly forgive, that we will take into ourselves a pain. That we will, we will shoulder a pain that is really, really not our own. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Is exactly that. That God's forgiveness is about, is about paying the cost. It's about bearing the hurt. It's about Jesus embodying the wounds. It's about Jesus taking on himself, our brokenness, for our sin. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Now, it's important to note that Jesus gave us a meal to remind us of what he has done for us on the cross. He gave us something that you have to ingest to remind us of what he did for us on the cross. He he, he gave us something we have to take into our bodies. Like we will take communion and, and, and we will ingest, we will take into our bodies the elements of communion. Now, Jesus could have given any, any kind of symbol, right, to, to remind us. He could have given any kind of practice, say, I want you to do this to remind you of my love and my forgiveness and what I did for you on the cross. He chooses, he chose to give us, give us something that we had to take into our bodies, that we had to ingest in some way as the definitive reminder of his love and forgiveness. Now, here's the deal. You can starve to death in the presence of a meal if you don't eat it, if you don't ingest it, if you don't take it in to your body. And Jesus reminds us of that in the way that he talks about the bread and the cup as he's describing this to his disciples. Jesus doesn't just say, this is my body. He says, take, eat my body. He doesn't just say, this is my blood. He says, take and drink. Jesus is saying, I don't want what I've done on the cross to just become ever in your life this cognitive thing that you're aware of I, I want you to ingest it. I want you to take in my forgiveness and my grace and my love. I, I want it to shape you. I, I want my love and forgiveness for you to shape everything in your life, to shape the way you respond to your wife, to shape the way you respond to your husband, to shape the way you respond to your friends and to your enemies, to shape the way that you respond to everyone, to shape the way that you, that you think about God, to shape the way you think about yourself. I want you to take this stuff in. 
I don't want you just to be aware that I died on the cross. I don't want you just to be aware of my forgiveness and my love for you. I want you to take it in. I want you to ingest it. Some of you, um, when it comes to taking communion, some of you are maybe hesitant to take it, um, or you feel intimidated to take it, or you're not sure that you're worthy to take it uh, because of maybe some decisions that you made, or maybe you had a bad week, or you yelled at your spouse on your way into church, or whatever, and you just say, oh, I don't think I should take communion. I don't feel like I'm worthy to take communion. Some of you maybe have never taken communion. Others of you, um, you've taken it uh, because it's kind of the church thing to do. It's a religious thing to do. And so um, you take it and you partake of it, and, but it, it really... It doesn't, it doesn't have meaning. It's become just kind of a, a ritual, something that, that you just kind of do because that's what the church does. And if, and if that's you, Jesus is saying to you today, I want you to ingest. I want you to take in what I've done for you on the cross. I want you to take in my love and my forgiveness like into you so that it changes everything. It shapes everything in your life. Like I want you to take that in. This is something not to hold at arm's length. This is something not just to cognitively give affirmation or assent to. This is something to take in. This is something to ingest. And, and if you've never really taken in the forgiveness and the love of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross, or maybe you have and you've prayed the prayer, but you're in a season right now where it's just not super real to you. It's not shaping you. It's not shaping the way you think about yourself or your, the people that you care about or the difficult folks that you deal with. It's not really, really shaping how you think about God. Like whether it's whether you've never taken this in, you've never ingested this, or whether you have, but it just has ceased to be real. I just want to give you an opportunity just to take it in again. And so I just invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and and if and if, and if that's you, if if you've never really taken in the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. Or, or maybe you have in the past, but it's just not real for you right now. I, I want you just to raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I want to take in God's forgiveness and his love for me. I want to take that in today. Just raise your hand. Don't be shy. You don't have to leave it down low. Just put it up and say, yeah. Yeah, I want to do that. 
And if you're watching online while we're raising hands here, there's a little button at the bottom of the screen that you can just click and say, yeah, I want to, I want to take in the forgiveness and the love. Who else? It just says, yeah, I just want to take in or I want to take it in again because it hasn't been, it hasn't been real. It hasn't been, I just want to take in the love and the forgiveness of God. God, we are so thankful for what you have done for us on the cross. And sometimes the things that are the most familiar, the things that we do the most often are the things that sometimes lose, lose their meaning or cease to be quite as real. And Lord, we are just so thankful that you have invited us not just to know about your love, but to take it in to ingest it, for it to be so real, your forgiveness and your grace, for what you did for us on the cross to be so real that it just changes everything, that it shapes everything. And so Lord, as we once again take communion together, whether online or here in person, Lord, we pray that as we take this in, these physical elements, as we take this in to our body, that we will also be declaring that we have taken in your grace and your forgiveness into our heart. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand together?